Hi, everyone. It's your podcast host, Jim Andrews, here with a reminder that the Ticket Manager Partner Summit is back. We'll be getting together in person on October 17th this year at the Times Center in New York City. This is a free, invitation-only event where hundreds of business leaders across the world's most influential brands in sports, sponsorship, live events, and ticketing gather to make great connections and share valuable information. Approved attendees enjoy exclusive networking events, insightful panels, and exciting celebrity speakers, all for free. Are you interested in attending? Just go to ticketmanager.com for details on how to apply. Hello and welcome to Ticket Manager's All Access Interview Series, engaging leaders from across the sports marketing spectrum to identify and explore critical issues in the business of sports, entertainment, sponsorship, activation, ticketing, hospitality, and even more than that. I'm your host, Jim Andrews, and joining me on this episode is a longtime friend and great marketer, Tony Wells. Tony, welcome. I am really, really thrilled that, uh, that you're joining us today. Uh, thanks, Jim. It's great to be here with you today and look forward to uh, the conversation we're going to have. So, Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, just as, as background for, for our listeners and viewers, you've had marketing and you've headed up marketing and media for, for many top brands and companies, C-suite level roles at uh, Verizon most recently, before that USAA, Schneider Electric, ADT, 24-Hour Fitness. You went throughout all those positions, and then during your your earlier career, the time spent at, at Visa and Nissan and others, you've got some deep experience in in sports marketing and partnerships as well as overall marketing. So I, I want to certainly talk about some of those uh, sponsorships and partnerships and, and your expertise there. But first, really wanted to talk about something that I know is important to you, and and that's the idea of of creating and executing partnerships through a DEI lens. You know, for a long time, I think partnerships and DEI efforts ran on on parallel tracks, but they really didn't intersect. And you would argue, I think, that that, that needs to change, and, and, and I would agree with that. So I'd love to talk to you and get your thoughts on, on how does that change happen? You know, what are the steps that people in, in, in sponsorship and, and similar positions need to take to really integrate partnerships in DEI? You're right, Jim. I'm very, very passionate about this topic. I know in today's world, it's also uh, very polarizing. But, you know, it's funny as I look at this, I really subscribe to the thought that a rising tide lifts all boats. And that when you look at the demographics, uh, where they're headed in the U.S., and even all the studies that have been uh, done around how a more inclusive approach to business drives outcomes, I continue to be surprised that there's such concern and, and, and people that are against it. But, but that aside, I think the role of a marketer is to kind of skate where the puck is going to ensure a brand stays relevant. And in my mind, when you don't take on your sponsorship portfolio and your sponsorship property through a DEI lens, you kind of risk losing a lot of uh, your audience. And you really need to look at that from a messaging standpoint, a creative standpoint, a media perspective. 
and ensure that the communication for whatever property you have takes those into consideration. I also believe that when you look internal to what's happening inside your you know, your company, are you looking at it from a supply chain perspective? Who's in front of the camera? Who's behind the camera? Also, uh, in terms of talent, are you making the conversation and all the planning that you have about activating your property? Is there a diverse set of folks at the table? Because when you don't have that, you risk your communication could be off target. And when you spend this type of money, you just want to make sure you get the full exposure and the full benefit and ROI that happens. And um, I just don't know any property where some of the viewers, the spectators, and the audience for a property, they all have a different take. You take something like the NFL, what a Hispanic consumer uh, may resonate with them may be very different than a woman or an African-American. And so you just, I think, have to, to think about that as you activate. It's so, it's so true. And, and uh, you know, the point is that, yeah, it, it's not just one aspect, right? It, it's not just making sure you're activating against different targets. But as you say, it's it can be an HR issue. You know, do we, do we have, you know, diverse set of voices in the room when we're making decisions? You mentioned the supply channel. You know, I was talking with one property recently, and you know they realized uh, to their credit that you know they they did not have a lot of minority-owned businesses as suppliers, and mm-hmm. they said, you know, we're we're out there talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and 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 you know making that you know one of our pillars, and it's in some ways easy to to talk about that and, and develop digital content. You know, but are we, are we again, going back to walking the walk there, when we look at our own supply chain, it's not as diverse, nearly as diverse as, as it should be. So it really, you're right. It really covers, covers all of those. Yeah, and, you know, and I'll say, Jim, you know, you look at the recent women's world cup, you know, the Spain won, but the whole, the winning of the, of the world cup cup was just derailed by the fact that yeah. there was not a, a DEI perspective or uh, how a woman was mistreated, you know, in a moment that should have been a crowning, you know, uh, you know, years of sweat and toil to be uh, and operate and play at that level. And the country and the the governing body and the team and the players, the, uh, they were all taken off, a, off track by a, a really unfortunate event. So I just think it's important that we continue to have a, a DEI lens as we Think about how we activate properties and bring them to life. So, you know, talking about partnerships and, and sponsorships, as I mentioned, something that's been near and dear to, to your heart throughout your career. And I think for, for a lot of folks, we have a lot of uh, listeners who are uh, in the early stages uh, of their careers and and, and, and look, would look at a path that, that you took and say, boy, that that's uh, something that, that I would aspire to. And I'm wondering, as you as you kind of grew into uh, the CMO roles um, that we talked about, were there certain moments where you said, looking back at your at your earlier part of your career, boy, I, I wish I knew that when I was first starting out, because you know it, it would have maybe helped me uh, either make make better deals or make better decisions or, or anything like that. Yeah, look, I'll focus on uh, the sponsorship area, which is near and dear to my heart. I, I I think there's probably three things. One, integrated marketing is a hundred times more difficult than we talk about and uh, often experience and are prepared to to execute against. It's just very hard 
to bring a whole organization together. And I look, I'll keep using the NFL maybe because they're the kind of maybe in the U.S. the premier partner right now in terms of visibility and, and performance. But you look at a, a brand that spins on the NFL, like the way that you activate it, whether you bring the sales organization around, the HR for employee benefit, frontline folks, taking it all the way to retail, having it show up in media and social, like there are all these thousands of touch points. And I often feel that brands are not spending enough time to bring it to life and to really, really integrate it around a core message that, you know, crosses all these channels. And you spend all this money on rights fees and you don't really bring it to bear, which is kind of so one integrated marketing is, is much tougher. And so learning to be a good integrated marketer and seeking to contribute in a way that brings your functional expertise to the table, I think is super important. I think too, uh, the three to one ratio, because I often look at properties and they're spending on the rights fees, but they don't have the sufficient dollars to amplify the message. And then I just think it's so important finally that I wish I knew that you really have to level set all of your internal stakeholders around what the property is, the insights, consumer insights, because often I've found that everyone may not be a football fan. Everybody may not know how to tap into fan avidity and they're doing creative or they're doing PR and they they may not be a, a football fan. And so level setting everyone to appreciate the sport the consumers, the viewers, the spectators, the participants is, I think, super important. Those are three really interesting aspects. I, I want to go back to that first one for a second, because I, I, I'm really interested in, and maybe there's a bit of uh, naivete on my part, having never you know, sat in in a CMO role at, at, a, at a major corporation like you have. And, and I certainly understand that, yeah, integrated marketing, when you look at all of the many pieces, especially in a in a national or a, pretty, a global company, you know, just logistically, that that does seem to be an almost insurmountable challenge. But is it is it more than just the kind of the, the sheer sheer scale of that? And I guess what I'm asking is, again, I would think that if, if at the top of the organization you could kind of mandate, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we need to do it, and 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 kind of have that filter down throughout an organization. But again, that's probably naive on my part that it's just not that easy, uh, even if it is coming from from on high, if you will. Yeah, look, I, I don't think it's that easy. And I always uh, think that everyone's not aligned. There are people that don't believe in sponsorship. There's a business leader who goes, I got more, you know, more important priorities right now. And, and you leave opportunity on the table, you know? And so to me, the big thing is to get that alignment across key stakeholders and leave yourself sufficient time to do the work. Often what happens is, you know, you have a short fuse and you're moving quick and there's so many demands on the business that you don't have the time to, to do the work, you know, and, and to ensure everybody is working off the same insight, but it it is extremely difficult, and I think often marketers kind of walk by it because a truly integrated marketing takes time, takes a commitment, and takes an understanding that you know if you want to go fast, that old saying, go alone. If you want to go far, <laughs> you know, go together. And I think sometimes the together is 
is uh, is lost in uh, in corporate America at times. Yeah, no, that, that that's a great point, and and yeah, that that need for meeting quarterly earning statements and and all of that kind of stuff sometimes is really a challenge uh, for for sponsorships and partnerships as, as well as a lot of other things. You had a longer than average tenure in in, in uh, your marketing leadership roles, but but typically you know there's a lot of turnover in in those positions, and that has an impact uh, on those working for them and, and including the folks in the partnership and sponsorship uh, positions. Any advice for for the, the kind of practitioners, the professionals in sponsorship when it comes to navigating those those times when there is change, change at the top of the organization? It is really important to build a body of work with documented measurement, ROI and results so that when you end the season or this year's activation, you can merchandise that throughout the organization so that key stakeholders see the results. Um, sometimes marketers aren't good at marketing, <laughs> like internal, you know, yeah. and folks have to know, okay, we spent X, here's the results we've got, here are the, the things we did well, here are the things we need to improve upon. And when a new marketing leader comes into the organization, I think it's very important to get to them early to show them here's how we are activating and bringing this to, to life. Uh, mainly because for the CMOs now, there's just a tremendous amount of pressure to demonstrate results quickly, like you are on the shot clock. And I think that's one of the challenges with the CMO role right now is that, first of all, everybody thinks they know marketing, you know, <laughs> uh, and their, their opinion of marketing often is a lot of opinions versus data. And so when I was at USA, the we used to say in the CMO, Wes Laird used to say, hey, marketing knows marketing and we bring data to the uh, uh, to the table, not opinions. And so I think there's this idea of letting the data lead because sponsorship is it's meant to evoke emotion. And I think a lot of people feel strongly about one way or another about whether this is the right property or not for, you know, for a brand. So that data led. And then I think, again, making sure you have that alignment across all of the organizations so that sales, ops, technology, you know, HR, everybody has an opportunity to participate and use something like the NFL to help, you know, achieve their business objectives. Because uh, that's the power of a property is that it um, it can really drive business outcomes. But again, you've, you've got to put the resources against it and have that alignment. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's to me. If a new CMO was coming in, I would get to them quickly with the results and data and show the alignment and, uh, and the results so that it's uh, quickly evident to them. Looking now, maybe doing a little bit of uh, crystal ball gazing, if you will, what do you what do you think are some of the biggest challenges to the success of, of brand partnerships these days? And maybe it's some of the stuff we've already touched on. I mean, obviously, they're the internal challenges. But anything else come to mind when when you, when you think about that question? Anytime you have sponsorship, you've got to find a way to amplify and scale the message. And so, I think a key thing is just what's happening in the media space in terms of dreaming, in terms of fragmentation, in terms of duplication of audience, and and specifically all that ties back to the costs and the execution difficulty. Like when I started in this business, I mean, there are only uh, four networks. Like you could get to anybody with mainly those four networks or you get, you know, the vast majority of the country. Now you have, again, I'll pick on the NFL, 
you know, streaming partners and now that, you know, Black Friday game and now, you know, Thursday with, with, with Amazon and like, there's all these different ways that uh, the, the sport can be consumed. And if you are a brand, how you're going to carry that message. So I really think the cost and fragmentation of media is going to continue to be a concern. And then that often leads to escalation of the total activation costs and the escalation of, of, of rights fees. So I don't know how high we can keep going. <laughs> and the more fragmentation, the more the categories get uh, further bifurcated and we start slicing and dicing, you know, domestic versus import and, you know, wireless versus broadband versus, you know, internet. Like you, you start splicing categories and the question then becomes like, who's really getting the, the benefit? So. As a brand guy, that's that's my main concern is like, can I activate this? Can I get a point of difference versus others? And how do I continue to make the the economics work? It, 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 it's it's a it's a balance, right? Because you've got you know the you understand the the rights holders need to to monetize uh, all of these different opportunities, but uh, yeah, where where do we we strike that, uh, that that sweet spot where where both sides feel that they're getting value out of it? I guess that's always been you know an issue in in the sponsorship and, and partnership space, and and that kind of leads me to to another question, and you know where can either the rights holders or the brands, do you think, do a better job as partners in kind of understanding uh, the needs of, of, of the other party and, and again, figuring out ways where, where each one can get optimal value out of these deals? Real hot button for, for me, uh, Jim. Look, I, uh, I'm pretty hard on, on properties. I feel like over time, the sophistication, the understanding of brand needs has probably not grown comparable to the rights fee escalation. Like, you know, uh, the value that I see from the sales team at many properties is is not evident. I think often from proposals showing up with some other company's name in it to fully not understanding, you know, the category that I'm in and also not having a true justification for how they price the proposal. And so look, you know, if you're selling a house, you know, there's comps and, you know, cost per square foot and, you know, what was the house originally sold for? You know, there's ways to gauge the value, but I'm finding more and more that it's kind of more of a, what the market will bear or what the property owner, the property owner thinks the market will bear. And look, there is something to that, but I also think that as a property owner, you, you kind of have to have a little justification of like, how did you arrive at this number? You know, like, you know, look, I'm always going to want it for the lowest price, but at the same time, like you, you just, you have to have some justification. And I often find that once you start double clicking there, there's a, a lack of understanding or, or knowledge of, of, of the category, what my market share is, how many wireless consumers they are in this marketplace how many of them i do i own what's the the appeal or the index for wireless customers for this specific uh, team or franchise and so that level of sophistication for the sales team i just think it needs to be there and i was talking to a property recently or someone that works for a property and they're like well 
we take our categories, something like telecommunications, and we spread around who calls on what brands. And, and look, if I was ever, and I've been in a sales role twice, so I have a little, just a small little couple of years experience with this. I, I would build category experts and let them run the whole category. Because I, I think it would allow a salesperson to dig deep, understand the components, read the trade publications from that industry or category to kind of understand what's happening. Because sometimes properties leave money on the table because they don't understand the category. And, you know, a brand goes and grabs, a, 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 you know, a lot more than maybe they should. And then sometimes they clearly don't understand because of how they are slicing and dicing a category. So that's the main thing. It's just do a good job selling, do a good job building value and convince me that you understand my category and what are the drivers of it and um, uh, that you spent some time researching, you know, my company and, and what my needs might be. You unlocked a couple of things there for me in, in, in terms of that, that idea, first of all, the specialization, you know, I, I've always considered that to be a best practice that I, that I assume most properties were following, maybe not. And, you know, I, I go back again, not to tell old, old war stories, but, you know, Rob Prasmark, who's the first salesperson for the, for the top sponsorship, you know, I, I when he secured Bausch and Lom, the, the contact lens maker as a, I think that was top one, maybe top two, you know, he would talk about how he went to, you know, optometrist conventions to learn the business that, you know, a, a contact lens maker like Paushan Lam was in, so he could understand that and then craft a proposal that he took to, you know, their their senior leadership and and got yeah. you know significant sponsorship. And that that always struck me as like, well, sure, that's the way you, you need to do that, especially if we're talking about a you know multi multi million dollar uh, partnership. But the other thing that that and uh, people who watch this podcast, listen to it, have heard me express this kind of frustration before is I feel like, and again, you and I've known each other probably 25 years at this point. I feel like we could have had that conversation. You you could have mentioned some of those things that you just said about properties, not really understanding the business and, 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 and making those kinds of really, you know, mistakes when they approach a prospective partner. Do you, do do you have an idea of why that hasn't changed that much? And well, that's, over that's what I was saying earlier. The rights fee keeps going up, but yeah. the level of sophistication of, of sales and category. And and look, I I, I don't know. I, I think certainly there's probably pressure. And look, I, I, I'm sure I'll get a call from some property person that I know <laughs> saying, hey, you don't understand what's going on here. Look, there's probably fragmentation in terms of the number of categories and brands that they're dealing with. I suppose that they're probably doing it with less headcount, just like everybody's operating with less headcount. Look, I'm sure there's market conditions, but I do think that there's something very, very telling when the salesperson knows my category or brand category and can really articulate it and knows how you know Verizon's being positioned versus Timo versus AT&T versus some of the virtual uh, provide network providers out there and and they don't, sometimes they don't understand that they like, they can't do the best job representing their, you know, it's like, it's know your customers, it's essentially what it is. And so I don't know, I just think there's a huge opportunity there for brands. And like I said, the property uh, person that I talked to, they're like, no, we take the categories and we spread it because that way we kind of, we sell against each other, you know, internal competition. And I'm like, okay, 
now you, you know, automotive, like, okay, there's OEMs, there's dealer groups, there's individual dealers, there's mega dealer groups. Like it, these categories are very, very complicated to be honest, to really extract value. And if 10 guys on your team or 10 gals on your team have to understand the automotive category, like I just don't know how you, you can't be an expert at every category. So I, you know, I guess maybe I'm advocating to properties that they have specialists, especially in the big core financial services, telecommunications, automotive, you know, the, the big categories that drive the revenue. I would, I really think having a category expert can, can be really, really advantageous. You know, as you said, you and I both know really smart, really great folks on on the sales side of this business, and 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 I don't think it's it's not an, a matter of of individual will about wanting to do things things the right way. I think sometimes it is it's organizational and and, and structural, as you said. Kind of there's you know there there are certain pressures or certain timelines that I think you know probably makes it hard to do some of the things that from an outside perspective it seems like would. Be be natural, so so we get that, and I don't I don't want to think anybody anybody out there think we're picking on uh, on folks in sales. No, well, I, I I am picking, but but yeah. but I'm, I've I, my you know my cleats are hung up now. And I'm off the, the field to play a little bit, so but I am picking. I like I am like we, <laughs> we have to do we have to do a better job on this. We just it's in everyone's best interest to try to just improve on this one area. I think so. Yeah, I mean the bottom line is you're going to end up with better deals that are going to turn into longer term deals and, and deliver more value for both people. So, well, Tony, it's it's always great to talk to you about this kind of stuff. You know so much about, about this business. I always learn something from talking to you. So again, appreciate the time today. I, I know that this will be valuable for, for all the listeners out there. So hopefully we will continue to cross paths. Hopefully those, uh, even though those cleats may be hung up, I'm sure you're, you'll still be around in, in some way, shape or form, I hope. It's great to connect. And you know, you, you, you're right. We go back 25 plus years and I would say that your involvement with IEG and the, the consulting practice and everything you guys used to run back at that time was very instrumental in, in, in me falling in love with this practice and functional uh, expertise with sponsorship. So I want to thank you, Jim, and uh, for all the folks that are in the business out there. Like, this is just an amazing industry and so many exciting things. And I continue to observe just how people are taking it to the next level. and and making sponsorships work hard for brands and deliver for consumers. So uh, thanks again, Jim. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. appreciate you. And we will, we will leave it there and, and pick up the conversation somewhere down the road. So Tony, thank you. And on behalf of everyone at Ticket Manager, thank all of you for watching and listening. And please join us again for the next episode in the All Access interview series.